The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Uh, if you got any more questions about what's going on with the SBC, uh, you can contact me, call me. Um, we can talk about uh, some of the concerns if you guys have. Um, if I'm out of town, remember you can call Norberto, and Don will be probably back in town at that point too. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Sin. It's a category without meaning except in reference to God more specifically in reference to his word. There was a Calvin and Hobbes strip, uh, comic strip, that illustrates this point. So Calvin, he's this little boy, and he's hurling down a snowy slope on a sled with his friend Hobbes. It's a tiger, and they're conducting a, a discussion about sin. And that's the interesting thing about this comic strip that you read. It's like they're, they're sledding, but they're having this conversation about sin while they're doing it. That's the, it's part of the intrigue of the whole, the whole thing. Calvin says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. And Hobbes says, well, are, are you worried that you haven't been good? And Calvin says, well, that's just a question, right? It's all relative. What, what's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say then that I should get lots of presents? And Hobbes says, but maybe good is more than just the absence of bad. And Calvin said, you see, that's what worries me. So, family, you see the insufficiencies that we may feel on our part really is much of the reason why we can be susceptible to teaching that promise a full life with things in addition to Christ or instead of Christ. We can be susceptible to these kinds of things. And I believe it's because a lot of the insufficiencies that we feel inside and, and these ideas about what it really means to be good. Because the idea of being good can only be defined by God's word, right? Take away God's word, how are we supposed to know what's good and what's bad? This is one of the big issues that we th see throughout history. Throughout history, philosophers since the beginning have been trying to come up with a standard of morality, some kind of ethical system apart from God's word. And it absolutely cannot happen. You should see some of the stuff that comes up about these systems that come. Absolutely brilliant system, but absolute nonsense as to how we're supposed to define what's right and what's wrong. All the way back there, we've even seen it. So the idea of being good can only be defined by God and his word. And as we see in God's word, good is a lot more than just the absence of being bad, of doing bad. Being good is a lot more than that. See, I think a lot of times we think that, you know, hey, if I ask the question, you know, hey, uh, uh, 
you know, Norberto or Linda. Let's pick on Linda. Linda, you know, were you good this week? I know that, that Linda got nervous. <laughs> That's the reason why I went with this Linda. Just kidding. You guys are all saints. That one was, yeah, that, yeah. I've already battered that Linda enough. I'm just, she, she just needs to rest now. But if, but if I ask, Linda, were, were you good this week? First thing, I think, now I'm not saying this for Linda, I'm just bringing this up, but, you know, first thing. First thing I think a lot of us think, if we get asked the question, were you good this week? The first thing we go to think about it is we think of all the bad things that we could have done that we didn't do. Isn't that funny? Were you good this week? Well, I didn't, I didn't lie this week. I didn't, you know, we, we always default immediately to all the thing, the bad things that we didn't do. And we think that because we didn't do bad things, that we were good this week. But that's not what we get from the scriptures at all. Do you realize that Christ and his golden rule is the one, this is the golden rule that's different from all other golden rules. That's my challenge to you, maybe, if you got time this week and you're, you know, you're sitting waiting for a haircut. You know, I know I need one, but, you know, you're waiting for a haircut or waiting for your oil to get changed or, you know, whatever you're waiting for and you're on the phone. And you look, look at all the golden rules and all the other religions, all the other belief systems that you see throughout all of the world. Christ's golden rule is different because the golden rule, you know, normally here is, you know, don't do bad to others. Don't do bad things. Don't think bad things. Don't do, it's just, it's the absence of good. Christ's golden rule is not don't do something. You know what his golden rule is? Do. Do. Not don't do. Do. One, one, uh, one scholar, theological, one, his, one scholar said this. Not doing things, that's the glory of a stone. <laughs> I love that. That's not the glory of a Christian. Do unto others. Well, what am I supposed to do? The very thing you would want people to do for you. If you don't do, then you fail. See, being good in Scripture is not just about not, not doing things. Did we fail in doing and being what God has called us to be? That's the dynamic of it. So if we're not doing, then we're failing. But see here, again, this insignificance, the insufficiencies are why we, I believe, are susceptible to bad teaching. Because we feel like we need more because either we are taught that we need more or we don't believe that Christ is enough. This is, this is where it gets hard. Okay, so hang in there. This is where it gets hard. Or we don't believe that Christ is enough. Maybe the reason why we're struggling in this world right now is because we don't believe that Christ is enough. Or maybe it's because we believe that we're not enough. Even though we have Christ, we still go looking for more because he's not meeting that need. So we look for other things. See, it's, it's very, very clear in the scriptures. Very clear. I, I, I challenge you if you don't think this, this, this is the case. It's so clear in the scriptures that Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Clear. I, I can't imagine us needing to go anywhere 
to find anything to help us in life and godliness apart from God, apart from our prayer, apart from the word of God. We have everything we need for it. It's super clear. It's super evident. So why do we feel like, though, it's still not enough for life? This is a huge clue. This is a big clue. This is a clue to help us see the problem. And to help us see the problem is, helping, is, is for us to truly see the effects of sin and the effects of the flesh. The reason we feel like Christ is not enough is because Christ is here to bring us what we need for life and godliness. But he doesn't help us with power, pleasure, profit. And popularity. Hmm. Oh, yeah. You thought this might be an easy sermon today. Shane's going on vacation. This is going to be an easy sermon. Watch this. In sin, that's what we desire. See, he, he makes us feel good. But he doesn't make us feel as good as we need to feel. Not really what makes us feel good. Sin, that is what we desire. So the reality is, is that God is not going to help us sin. He's not going to help us do that. If sin is what we want, then the world does a pretty good job of giving us that. That's why we're so susceptible to the ways and the patterns of this world. This is why we love the world and all that's in it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's why we love it. Because it gives us what we truly want deep down inside. So here's, this is the trick of it. This is the, the continued insufficiencies that we have. Today we will see just how emphatic the scriptures are about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. But for many of us today, it's, that's not the issue. We're not going to stand up there and be like, you know, you're not coming up to me after service today and going, oh, yeah, Shane, I, I heard your sermon today, and I don't think Christ is sufficient, and I don't think he's supreme. Yeah, I don't think many of you are going to do that. Because I think the reality is not that we don't believe that. Some of us may. But it's not necessarily that we don't. We don't believe that because he's not providing for us what we really want. But the reason why he's not providing for us what we really want is the things that we really want are things that we shouldn't have. This is where the gospel comes in. So let's take a look at our passage today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that it continues to be a light unto our path. Father, I pray that you continue to transform us, to renew our mind with your word, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is just how the fullness of God is at work in Christ at all times. The second thing we're going to see is that we are complete. Why are we complete? Because we are filled with a fountain that will not fail. 
right? So if you are full of a fountain that always quenches your thirst, then it's amazing. You'll never be thirsty again. Wow. And the last thing we're going to look at is to see that all of this is possible because of the work that Christ did in bringing salvation to his people. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to question the sufficiency of Christ, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will cause us to see that Christ is enough. And if all we have is Christ, we have way more than enough. Okay? Point number one. All that we need for life and godliness. So remember, the point of the reason why Paul and Timothy are writing this letter is because all these false teachers have come in to Colossae to preach their false teaching and to do their false teaching things. And, and, and they're causing doubt in the, in the Colossian Christians. You know, and, and it's not doubt that Christ is the way. They weren't causing, this is the easy thing, right, family? This is, this is where it's easy. If somebody comes up here and says, Christ is not God, he is not the way, that's easy. Well, dude, dude, yeah, let's not listen to that guy. Easy. But see, here's where it gets hard. They, 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 what, they, what they were saying is, is not that Christ is not the way. They're saying Christ is the way. He's just not the only way. Whoa. And that's where things get really hard. Right? That's where these kinds of things will sneak in, cause you to believe things that's not true. Because they're not outright denying Christ. And that's a lot of the false teachers today. They're not outright denying Christ. Yet they are teaching things that are not in accordance, in accordance with Christ. And if you walk away from these truths about Christ that Scripture revealed to us, the Bible says that you have no relationship with God. That's why I'm saying why this is serious. This is serious. If you don't believe the truth about Christ, the reality is we're going to hell. That, that's huge, family. This is huge. The church in Colossae, interestingly enough, the church in Colossae was not like the church in Corinth. This is so funny, just, just how, how, how um, Corinth, the Corinthians were just always, they were all into all kinds of sin and debauchery, man. These guys were just in all kinds of stuff. But the funny thing is, these guys were puffed up in the faith. Man, they thought they arrived. They thought they had everything. They thought that they were it, man. The Corinthians were puffed up in their faith. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, you think you already have everything you need. This is what you think. You think you have arrived. I mean, that's not what Paul said, but you think you have everything you need. Let me just go back to what Paul said. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I mean, they thought they were even before and beyond even the apostles. I wish you really were reigning already, because if you were, that means we'd be reigning with you. They were puffed up. But the reality is, is that the Colossians were actually in a different place. They were not like the Corinthians. The false teachers were telling them that they could not come to fulfillment or completeness in Christ, or at least in Christ alone. And Paul and Timothy are telling them, this is not what's true at all. 
You can be complete and more if all you have is Christ. See, again, if you're familiar with Gnostic or, or teachings at the time, uh, the, the great logos, logos is the correct, but they say logos, would make contact through a series of emanations from the heavens in which Christ was the last one. So essentially what they're saying is he was not the only way to the Father, but he was one of many ways to the Father. You guys have heard that today. I hear this all the time. Yeah, I, I, I believe that Christ is important. I believe that Christ is a way to the Father, but I don't think Christ is the only way. I, I, I kid you not, family. This, this stuff is coming from the mouths of evangelical Christians today. Evangelical leaders, even, are preaching this stuff. Christ is not, Christ is not the only way. I mean, there's one prominent leader who was, in, who was listed in Time, magazine, Time Magazine's top, I don't know if you guys read that article, the top 30 evangelicals in America. You know. Anyway, he was one of the top 30 behind the pulpit telling people that it's okay, you can be Christian and practice, be a practicing Buddhist at the same time. Seriously, like he would say stuff like that. You can be a, a, a Muslim and still be a Christian. It's just it's interesting when you listen to how they rationalize all of this type of stuff. Essentially, what he's saying is that Christ is a way, but he's not the only way. There's other ways, too. No, no, no. This is what they were being taught in Colossae, and this is what Paul and Timothy was trying to put a stop to. You see what I'm talking about? We're hearing this kind of, the same teachings that they were getting back then, we're getting today still. Just to prove that Ecclesiastes is absolutely correct when it says there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. You know, I realized the other day I'm, watching, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff. I was even looking at Sabrina. Where's Sabrina? Yeah, there's Sabrina. I'm looking at her, her, her jeans. Bell bottoms are back. They just call them boot cut now. It, it's, just, it's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. It's all there. It's all the same. Comes back. Everything comes back. Circular. Comes round and round and round. Sorry, Sabrina. Now everybody's going to be looking at your, your pants when you walk. And when you start walking, they're going to go ding, dong, ding. <laughs> they're cool, though. Make sure you take a look at her shoes, too. Way cool. Makes me jealous. <laughs> So, so what they're saying is if you want to reach the fullness, you need more than just Christ. You need other things as well. You need a little bit of Greek philosophy. You need a little bit of Eastern philosophy to round that out. You need a little bit of Ebionite Judaism to kind of flavor that up a little bit. You know what? May as well throw in some regular Judaism on top of that too. Then you pepper it, salt and pepper it with other religions. Come on, man. We have got the key to unlock the secrets of a full life. You want to live life in the fullest. And I'm willing to share that secret with you for a donation of $50 or more. Act now. Your tax-deductible gift will bring fullness like you've never experienced before. Don't wait. You don't need to ask your spouse. You don't need to check your financial status. 
How can you pass on a deal this good? You think you can't afford it. You can't afford not to. And just remember that your, your gifts will feed hungry children. My hungry children. I'll be here till the end of the week. It's essentially what was going on back then. This is what they were doing. This is how they were making money. A way for, for them to make gain. I mean, the scriptures talk about it. That people will use religion as a means of gain. They do. People have been doing it for years. Using religion to make money. And tell, let me tell you something, man. You can make a lot of money. A lot of money. You know, I was reading an article today about, or not today, just this past week, about, uh, I can't remember, it's like a Forbes, some kind of Forbes guy or something like that, talking about how, like, for those of you graduating with MBAs, wanting to be in business, you want to start a business, they were actually talking about churches as being an avenue that you should go to to make a lot of money. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like blown away. I'm talking to a friend of mine who has a friend of a friend who they're, they're spending like a hundred something million dollars building their new sanctuary, their new church. hundred million dollars. I'm like thinking like, I, I can't even imagine that just the, can you imagine that? Like just having a hundred million dollars to build a building? Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. You can make a lot of money. And that's what they were doing. Paul and Timothy are declaring, right now, you can see the fullness of God in all of creation. When you look around, you see the fullness of God all around you. We see the work and the fullness of God all around us. But in Christ, you actually see the face of God. Man, you can't get any better than this, man. The fullness, we have the fullness. The fullness of God is at hand. This is the beauty of Paul's use of the Greek where we translate dwell. Why? Because what this does, when he says stuff like this, that the fullness of God dwelling with us, it points us to the picture of what we know as the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tabernacle. The place where the presence of God would abide with his people. This is a big thing. If you, you know, for those of you who spent much time in the Old Testament, this the understanding and the idea of the tabernacle, the teaching of the tabernacle is absolutely extraordinary. It's amazing. It was a very, very important part of the people's lives. Absolutely it was important. This is how the presence of God will dwell with the people. I mean, this is the presence of God. This is it. This is huge. This is, this is where God abides with people. This is clearly pictured. This is clearly communicated in the scriptures. This is the impact of what the, the apostle desired to communicate to the people in Colossae. Christ is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the ultimate tabernacle. He is the true temple of God. And you can't get any better than that. First, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word of God became human and made his home among us. Uh, many of you memorize it as the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacle language there. 
And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He is the fullness of the presence of God here on earth. Let me tell you something, family. There's, there is a way that's happening today that's diminishing this very truth right now. And I'm going to be bold. Be Betty told me last week, be bold. Okay, so I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. Do you know another way we diminish the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ today and how we diminish the, the, the dwelling of Christ or, or Christ being the temple? It just, it just happened this week. I got another email from another ministry. Why are there ministries out there raising money for us to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem? Why, why are we doing this? I mean, this is constant. I hear this constantly. We got to have money. We got to do this. We got to have the money so that we can rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. We got to rebuild the temple. Got to get the money. We got to get the, 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 the Dome of the Rock. We got to get the Dome of the Rock moved aside. Like you can just move the Dome of the Rock aside. You know what would happen if we forcibly removed the Dome of the Rock? We're talking about World War III. It's not simply moving the Dome of the Rock to build the temple. We're raising money to build the temple. Is the true temple not good enough? Think about this. Just, just bear with me, okay? Just think about this. Is the true temple not good enough? Are we diminishing Christ and who he is and what he represents when we do stuff like this? The temple, from the very beginning was always there to serve one purpose, to point us to Christ. It was there to point us to Christ. The temple is a type and a shadow of the true reality that was to come. And when Christ came, he became the true temple. Oh, don't believe me? Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. One of these passages of scriptures that I think we just gloss over and we lose the true impact of this. I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Okay. We know Christ was talking about himself there, right? Just, in, just let's, let's just assume. Christ is talking about himself. There's one here. You know, this is what happens, right? When you, you come into the room, hey, the party can start. There's one here that's even greater than the party, right? <laughs> Christ is saying this about himself. Here, who's even greater than the temple? Why in the world are we wanting to build the temple when we already have something that's even greater than that? Types and shadows are just blueprints, really. The sacrifices were just blueprints of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. The temple was just a blueprint. They point us to the reality. The temple sacrifices, the feasts, the priests, all point us to Christ. They were like blueprints. Wouldn't it be weird? I think I've said this before, but wouldn't it be weird? Like, here you got the blueprints. You're going through the blueprints, and you start building the house. Right? You got the house. It's all built. It's all furnished. Everything is good. You know, you got all, all the stuff that you needed in there. The hardwood floors are all polished. Everything is great. Everything is good. You got this house going. And all of a sudden, it starts to rain. And it's like, hey, we need to take shelter. 
and you grab the blueprints, and you and your family go under it. And then you got John Robles standing over there going, why don't you just go in the house? I can't imagine the blueprints are protecting you and sheltering you that well. It's essentially what we're doing. Why do we want to go back to the blueprints when we already have the greatness of what it represented and what it pointed us to? Why go back to the temple when we already have the risen temple? Why would we do that? What does that say about us when we're doing this? Even worse, what does it say about the house? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how scary this is? This is what I'm talking about, diminishing Christ. If, if instead of talking to Janine, my wife, what would you think if I just talked to a picture of her hung up in my living room? I come home from work. You know, hey, honey, I'm home. Janine's standing over there going, hey, how's it going? And I go up to the picture and I go, how was your day today? <laughs> Great. All right. You know, and go on, on with my life. And then when I get ready and I go to work, you know, Janine's standing there, oh, hey, have a great day, honey. And I go, and I kiss the picture instead. <laughs> what would that say about me? But family, this is where it gets harsh. What would that say about her? What would it say about her that I would rather have the picture than her? See, we don't, you know, this is why when Christ says they know not what they do, this, this is what I'm talking about here. We absolutely doing this thing, rebuilding the temple, getting all this stuff, doing all this stuff, wanting to go back to the types and shadows and all this stuff. We know not what we do of absolutely how degrading that is to our Lord. Do we not understand how demeaning it is to go back to the picture? And here's the other thing, too. If Jesus was the ultimate reality of where the presence of God would dwell with his people, if we build the temple, I guarantee you one thing the presence of God will not be there. So what are you building it for? What are we going back to this stuff for? Do you just, this is the thing. This is what, where it gets even better. This is what we got to understand. Why I'm just, just we, can't, we can't be messing with this kind of stuff. The presence of God will no longer be there because Christ is now the fullness of God and the presence of God in the reality when it comes to dwelling with his people. But Shane, don't we want to go to the place where the spirit of God dwells? Like I told you, it's not going to be there. But people are still going to be, don't you want to go to where the Spirit of God dwells? Let me ask you a question. Is there something wrong with where the Spirit of God dwells now? And you know where the Spirit of God dwells? With you. As Christians, we are the body of Christ. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Spirit of God now. So here it is. When people say, hey, Shane, don't you want to go where the Spirit of God dwells? This is what I say to you. You want to go where the Spirit of God dwells? Then you just come hang out with me. <laughs> yeah, you laugh, but seriously. Why? Because if you are a Christian... You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells with you. Is that not good enough? Is that not good enough for us that we got to go back and do something that's degrading to our Lord? This, this, is, why, this is why I say, like, you know, when, when, when people mess around with this stuff, there's false teachings that go around about how, you know, you got to give money, you got to make sacrifices, you got to give money to these ministries on the Day of Atonement. Because, you know, the Day of Atonement is the day where we make sacrifices so God can forgive your sins. So send money so we can practice. And on the Day of Atonement, we still practice, ministry still practice this. Day of Atonement, make sacrifices, pray for, the, pray for the sins and pray for God to forgive our sins, all that type of stuff. Still happening today. Oh, but Shane, it's just New Test, it's just Old Testament stuff. We're just practicing this, is, you know, all this stuff. No, you don't understand what it is that you're doing. You are absolutely saying that you know that this, this this moment of what we're doing, you're absolutely saying you you are, are saying this is what, what we need to do. This is the Old Testament practice, which was a type and a shadow of something to come. We already had a day of atonement where there was a sacrifice that was once and for all done. We celebrate our day of atonement today on Good Friday because that was the once and for all sacrifice that was done. When we do stuff like that, what are we saying about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? Was it not enough? So an individual says, hey, Shane, you need to, give, you need to make sacrifices so you know, your sins can be forgiven on the Day of Atonement. Make, you know, do, make a sacrifice, and then God will forgive your sins on, on the Day of Atonement. That's what we're going to do. I'll just be like, dude, my sins are already forgiven. My sins are already covered by the ultimate sacrifice. And there's no sacrifice of money. Or there's no sacrifice of anything that we're going to do here today that's going to come close to even comparing to the sacrifice that I received on Good Friday. It diminishes. It's a slap in the face. It's degrading. It's demeaning. And then we wonder why we do stuff like this and we wonder why we don't feel like Christ is enough. Because we act like it's not enough when we do things like that. Giving money to Day of Atonement stuff. Giving money to rebuild the temple. Christ is the true temple. Christ is the way the Spirit of God dwells with his people. And now Christ is in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is here dwelling with us. Who Paul calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's not diminish him. Let's not diminish this incredible thing that the Lord has given us. If the Holy Spirit dwells with us now, how incomplete can we really be? Point number two, we're complete in Christ. He made us complete in him. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. And if Christ is the fullness of what it is to be God, then we have more than enough. Matter of fact, he's not just filling us. We're overflowing. For if we share in Christ, we are part of Christ, we are united with Christ, and here it is, 
If we are one with Christ, how can we ever say we are incomplete in any way? Think about it. How can we say that we're complete, incomplete in any way? He's the fullness, and we need, uh, and, and everything that we need, we find in Christ, and we are full in Christ. Not just part, full, complete, not incomplete in Christ, complete in Christ. Therefore, what more do we need? If we are full in Christ, who is the fullness, why in the world would we go looking for anything else? This is why we should not be deceived. Um, I, uh, Al and Linda Johnson, they were really nice enough to give us these gift cards to Texas Day Brazil. That's my favorite place now. You know, so just in case the, you know, the Holy Spirit is moving in you, you want to bless the pastor. Texas Day Brazil cards. Mm -hmm. Texas Day Brazil is all you can eat. You sit there and just steak all night. Just, just all you can eat. I kid you not, family. I went there with my sister, and me and my sister were like, there was like some kind of challenge we had. You know, and she, and she, like, she, like, she got me. She beat me, that was for sure. But I cannot remember the last time I was that full. I mean, it, it felt so full. You ever feel like you're so full that you feel like it's just going to, like, explode? Like, you feel like if you could poke a hole in your stomach, you got to do it to relieve some pressure? And it's just, like, I just, and then you're just sick. I kid you not, it was really funny. I remember thinking <laughs> when I went home, I walked into the kitchen, and how every sight of anything that I saw cookies, because my sister came, right, so we just had junk food in our house all over the cookies and muffins and just stuff everywhere. All of that stuff made me sick to my stomach looking at it. Just food, just, <laughs> just I just was repulsed by food. This is kind of the idea that Paul and Timothy are trying to communicate to us. If you're already so full in Christ, you wouldn't be looking at any of these other false teachings that's around you. None of that stuff would matter to you. None of that stuff would be appetizing at all. You would want nothing to do with it if you really understood what it is to be full in Christ. Dr. Hendrickson, he writes, In Christ you have reached the source whence flows the stream of blessing that supplies whatever you need for this life and the next. Abide therefore in him. And you will continue to experience that out of his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. John chapter 1, verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 16. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Do we believe that? But as we will see from the Greek rendering here, I'm going to go through this whole thing. The idea is the Colossians will have no interest in listening to the false teachers once you realize that you're already full in Christ. When we get that realization, family, nothing else will even come close to comparing to getting our attention at all. My sheep know my voice. No other voice will they follow. Dr. Doug Moo writes, in him, in him alone, God has decisively and exhaustively revealed himself. 
All that we can know or experience of God, therefore, is found in our relationship with him. Christ is all we need. The scriptures say we are in him. So if all we have is Christ, what more do we need? If we are truly Christians, then the real question is, it really is, what else do we really want? Seriously, what else do you really want? I mean, if our Lord is everything, then our Lord is everything. I mean, how, how many, I always bring this situation up, right? Like, what if, what if you go to heaven, and walk through the doors of heaven, and there's your mansion, there's everything, your, your crown full of jewels, some more than others, you know, all that, whatever. <laughs> all the amazing things that was promised in heaven, you see it, here's your inheritance. Oh, can I ask a question? Yeah. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's not here. How many of us would actually absolutely be plenty content with hanging out in heaven with everything that you need, but your Lord's not there. Oh, well, well, Shane, yeah, Jesus is actually uh, in the desert right now. And, you know, that's where he is. And he's going to be there for the next billion years. If you want, here's a ticket. You just, you know, break the ticket and you just vanish and you'll appear with him in the desert if that's what you want. Riches, luxury, pleasure without Christ, or the desert with our Lord. This is kind of the rubber meets the road kind of thinking. What happens if you go to heaven and Jesus isn't there? What else do we want? He's my Lord. He's my everything. And here's the thing, family. I have no problems living in the desert for a billion years. As long as I have Christ, I have more than I will absolutely need. Always. If Christ is the fountain that will never fail, and, it will always, and he will always fill, why do we keep seeking out broken cisterns that can hold no water? Jeremiah 2.13, Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Why do we do this? Why indeed? See, I think, family, in the end, and here we're going to start wrapping it up. I think in the end, we struggle. We struggle with this because I, I, I think we got to be honest with ourselves. And, and I was, I'm, not, I'm honest with me. I'm honest myself. So this is me too. I'm throwing myself in there as well. I think we got to be honest with ourselves in saying that we are more enslaved to sin than we might think. I, I, if we're just honest, we just got to be honest with it. I think we're more enslaved to sin than we might think. I mean, what do you think? Here, here's the thing. I think that, and, and just more specifically, I think that we are more faithless than we'd like to believe. I think that's, that's more specifically what I'm really wanting. So, you know, we think, yeah, I'm Christian. I have faith. I believe. 
faith is everything. Faith is my instrument. Faith is everything. It's all it's an instrument by which we receive grace. We got, we got the word down, you know. We got it. But I wonder how faithless we really are. I mean, think, think about this. Like Jesus said, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a paper. No. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move what? Mountain. You could move a mountain. Now at the time, even though scientists now have said we found seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed, again, it's communication, right? At the time, there was nothing that was proverbial of being smaller than a mustard seed. The mustard seed was like essentially the smallest thing. So you know when Jesus was saying that if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, he wasn't actually giving us a standard of measurement when it comes to faith. Right? Because at the time, there was nothing smaller than a mustard seed. So what would be smaller than a mustard seed? Nothing. Right? What, what, what's less than one? Count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. So Jesus is actually saying something very, very, very dramatic when he's saying mustard seed. That's why it's, it drives me nuts when you hear that. Oh, we're going to teach you how to have mustard, mustard seed size faith for your love offering of $100 or more. I don't know. This is what Jesus is saying. If you had faith at all, you could move mountains. <laughs> huge, family, huge. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Here's the thing. What do you think Christianity would be like if we actually believed everything the scripture said? Buckle your seatbelts. Pull it tight. The, the plane's going to flip upside down here for a minute. What if every day we woke up knowing that our life here on earth was just a tiny speck of time in our life? What if we really lived our lives storing up treasure in heaven? It's amazing. Amazing the lengths we will go through today to store up treasure here on earth. It's amazing what we will do for treasure here on earth. What if we actually lived our lives storing treasure in heaven? What if we really believed that wisdom was more precious than rubies? What if we really purposed in our hearts that our lives are for God's glory and God's glory only? What if we woke up believing that Jesus is the only reason why we live and breathe today? What if our aim in life every single day was heaven and heaven only? What if we really did take up our cross? What if we really do follow Christ? What if we really do surrender all like we sing? See, that's the real problem, isn't it? You know, I ask people this question a lot. And, and what's really funny is the, the response I get from people when I say, what if we actually believe the stuff that we say? 
people will say, if Christians actually did that, they would change the world. But it's funny. Christianity today, especially in our culture, it seems like we're being consumed by the world. It's not changing. We struggle with believing that Christ is all we need. We struggle with it. It just can't be. It's too good to be true. Or maybe our issue today is he's just not the kind of God we really want. Now, Jesus, that, that whole story and all that kind of stuff sounds really good and all. You know, but the suffering, the trials and tribulations, taking joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That's just too much religion for me. The kind of Jesus I need is the Jesus that's more like the genie from Aladdin. Snap my fingers and Jesus pops up and says, hey, what do you need? This is, this is the thing. Christ, for many of us, is just he's not the kind of, of, of God I want. But you know what? This isn't foreign from the scriptures. This is what the Romans thought. The Romans wanted the Messiah, absolutely. But when Christ came, they were like, if that's the Messiah, that's not the Messiah we want. We need the Messiah that's going to rise up and is going to destroy the Romans and set us free from captivity here. We look for love in all the wrong places because we're looking for the wrong things. The problem is we want what Christ doesn't give. This is why we look elsewhere for things. This is why we find ourselves in this mess, the mess that we're in sometimes. This is why we sin and we want to sin. We crave our sins. See, and here's the thing. We are, are happy if we can make our cake and eat it too. That's what we try to do. And if we try to get our cake, and if we want to get our cake and eat it too, we seek for things apart from Christ. Because I want everything that Christ gives, but I also want the things that Christ doesn't give. That's, that's what I want. So I want both. I want to have my cake and I want to eat it too. I want to have both. This is, why I get, this is why we get caught into false teaching. This is why the false teaching stuff, because this is essentially what they're doing. They're telling you how you can have your cake and eat it too. Oh, yeah, you're going to have a great life in heaven. But let me teach you how you can have your best life now. See? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's all this. It's, it's, it's trying, to, trying to get both. And it appeals to what is deep down in the hearts of many of us today. Where people will say to me, hey, Shane... Can you just tell me what the minimum thing I need to do to make sure I go to heaven? I just want to make sure I get to heaven. No, no, no. What you're actually saying to me is you want to know how bad you can be, how much you can sin, how much of the world you can have, and still make it into heaven. Man, if I could give you that formula, if I had that formula and I put it in book form, oh, man. I'd be a best-selling author teaching you how you can be as bad and as sinful as you can be and still go to heaven? Yeah. 
I got a title for it already. Cake and eat it too. And see, that's the thing, right? The culture is deceiving us into thinking that what we really desire in our hearts is really good. What, just, you know, culture will tell us, hey, what, what it is that you desire deep down in your heart, you know, that's, that's who you are. That's a good thing. It's worthwhile. It's who you are. It's your identity. But did you know that the scriptures don't teach us this? When it comes to the heart of man, what does the scripture say? <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So stop. It's a lie when they say follow your heart. Look deep down in your heart. Believe in yourself, thank you. Because deep down in your heart, you know what's right. No, 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 no. The scripture is not telling us that. The scripture is telling us not to trust your heart. Trust in the Lord. It's our nature. It's the flesh. It's the reality of sin. And we need to be suspicious of what's going on deep down in our hearts. And with this sin comes judgment. Did you know that? You don't hear about this a lot. That all the wages of sin one day will be paid. And the wages of sin is death. The judgment is real. Judgment is torment. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I tell people, I don't know what that exactly is. Hey, what's weeping and gnashing of teeth? I, I don't know what that is. All I know is I don't want it. <laughs> Shane, can we be saved from this? Yeah, you can. You can absolutely be saved from this. There is salvation for us, and it belongs to the Lord, and it belongs to the Lord alone. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what did Christ do? Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost by his wounds. We are and the promises continue. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Family, salvation is here. And though we are inadequate to produce a righteousness worthy of the kingdom of God, thankfully we are not saved by righteousness that is of our own. It is the righteousness of the true image of the living God, the firstborn of all creation, our beloved Lord Jesus, who by him, through him, and for him is everything. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. 
and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.